0: Well, praise the Lord. Open your Bible, if you would please, to the book of Romans, chapter 1. While you're turning there, my wife was telling about these two sisters that were riding in a car together, and uh, one was driving and the other was passenger. And they came to a red light, and the, and the lady went right through the light, the, the light, just kept on going. The sister over here didn't say nothing. And uh, so they kept on going. he came another light. Sure enough, it was red. She went right on through it. It's the second light and sister, I don't know. they come up on the third light, and finally she ran it. And the other sister said, "Did you know that you ran the red light?" She said, "Was I driving?" <laughs> <laughs> That's that dementia we talk about sometime, brother. That comes in. How many knows who you are? You may not know who you're, my daddy, when he got older. Well, he was only 57 when died. But when he was about 55, he got dementia or hardening of the arteries. Uh, these neck veins through here didn't flow good. So anyhow, he got dementia. And uh, he called me Luther for a long time. And I talked to him. I said, Dad, I love you. He said, well, Luther, I love you too. I don't know who in the world Luther was. And finally, I said, Dad, tell me how to be saved. And my daddy hit the floor with his knees. And he went through the plan of salvation. Yeah. And told me how to be saved. He said, now Luther, if you'll trust Jesus Christ, your Savior, you can be saved. I said, Dad, the name is James. He said, no, it's not. You're Luther. So Luther, you trust the Lord Jesus. Well, whether I'm Luther or James, I'm glad my name's in there. I'm glad my daddy didn't lose the most important thing in his mind, mind, the things of the Scriptures and the Holy Word of God. And I'm grateful for that. I hope all of us as we get older, we may not remember a lot of things. But we ought to know we've been saved by the grace of God. And I believe the Lord will give that assurance to us, regardless of our health. Uh, I'm still battling some health issues, so I'm not going to preach very long today. The Lord willing, unless He speaks otherwise to me, and uh, just talk to you for a few hearts, a few moments about Romans chapter one and also First Timothy chapter one through eleven through fifteen. Before we do, this booklet is going to be passed out during our soul winning meeting. If you had not signed up, you'd at least do so. There's a place at the PAC a podium to sign up for it. You'll receive a syllabus like this. It's Faith in Action Soul Winning Course. We're going to do it February March on Tuesday nights from 7 Day 30. Inside of this booklet is a booklet by Dr. Jack Howes. He gave this demonstration thousands of times of the League of Soul to Christ. I think it's well worth the time to read it. It's in print. I think you'll enjoy it. I appreciate the Secretary getting this together for me as far as the syllabus to go by. It has several tabs we'll try to cover. We may finish up early and not go the eight weeks, but we'll see how it goes. I want you to sign up because we've got to know how many notebooks to have. And also, we're giving away some soul-winning Bibles. New soul-winning New Testaments that can be used to fit in your purse or in your pocket. Most of us carry one if we go soul-winning, either in a pocket or somewhere. And the ladies carry them in the purse. But it's the plan of salvation. It also gives you helps about the Christian life. It's well worth having. Every night we're going to have a drawing uh, for one of those. We give away eight of them, the Lord willing. We'd love for you to come, but we've got to have how many is going to come so we can prepare ahead of time. So please sign up if you have not signed up already, starting the first Tuesday in February at 7 o'clock, 8.30. You'll be out promptly at 8.30. I promise you you'll be through, and we won't want to take you too long because I know it's a busy schedule. But 7 to 8.30 each Tuesday night, starting in February. And then in February also... On the 10th, our good friend Chase Whitten and his wife Joy are going to be here with us for our banquet, our married couple banquet we have every year, and we're grateful for that. They're going to be spe- he'll be speaking, and we need you to sign up for that. Also, the money was due yesterday, or today, or tonight, or tomorrow. Please have money in, or you come and don't eat. We want you to enjoy the meal, the catered meal, but we want you to enjoy Be sure to sign up. We do it through the offering plate or we give it to uh, one of the ushers. Be sure we get the proceeds as soon as possible. Well, I'm more out already just started just giving now. to watch me out. Uh, let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. Romans chapter 1. I want to talk to you about the Apostle Paul today. That's a big subject. He wrote half of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, many believe he wrote at least 13 books in the Bible. That's almost half of the New Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote most of them by divine inspiration of God. But in chapter 1, he says these words. in verse. Let's begin in verse 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Amen. for it is the power of God unto the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And then in the book of First Timothy chapter 1, sort of another testimony of the Apostle Paul, chapter 1, verse 11 through 15. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding the abundance with faith and with faith and with the with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and I'm worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Notice the last little phrase of whom I am chief. May God add his blessings to the reading of the Word of God. Father, thank you for the privilege of being in church today. Thank you for the good singing. Thank you for the reading of the Word of God. If we did nothing else except read the Word of God is sufficient. And yet, Lord, You want us sometimes to bring messages and preach and teach lessons that will help our people and help all of us to become better in what we ought to do for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. I need fresh oil today. I need Your touch, the touch of the Master's hand. I pray, Lord, I'll be yielded to You the best way I know how. Help me say only that which I need to say and leave unsaid that which I do not need to say. May Your name be exalted and be glorified. and We'll thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe see it. Someone said the Apostle Paul probably was the best Christian or maybe the greatest Christian there ever was. I'm not sure about that. Uh, there's no doubt about it he was a great Christian. Jesus said about John the Baptist, never has there been a woman, born a woman, greater than John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was greater than any, any other person Has ever been born in the eyes of God? And then the Lord said, even a little child sometime is greater than John the Baptist. So whether Paul's the greatest Christian that ever lived, I don't know. But if I had to put him up there in the top 10, he'd be right close to the top. as one of the greatest Christians in all the world. As a matter of fact, when you begin to read the Bible, you see the great truth of who he was. He was a Christian that's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He's a Christian who's been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He is an apostle. One born out of due season. And there were 12 apostles originally. And of course, Paul was stricken down on the road to Damascus and was called of God to fulfill that role as an apostle to the world of that day, both to the Jew and also to the Greek, as we read in Romans chapter 1. He was a great writer. Sometimes he'd write it himself, sometimes he'd have somebody write it while he dictated the letter to him. But all those writings and all those testimonies. And he traveled many places, not on sightseeing tours, but on soul winning tours. As he goes soul winning, here's what would happen to him. And you can read it in the book of Acts especially. When he went to Philippi, he got beaten because of his stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. When he got down to Lystra, he got stoned. Even let let over a wall in a basket. He was stoned almost to death. Matter of fact, they thought he was dead. You know what he did when he got up? Licked the wounds a little bit. Maybe not licked them, that's not a good word. Maybe he wiped the wounds, the blood away. Went back to preaching again, the glorious message of the Lord's truth. He was arrested in Jerusalem. And in Caesarea, he was in prison. Later, he would have his head beheaded, according to history, as a soldier of the cross and a soldier of the Lamb. And I'm glad for the testimony that he had. Paul and others could have done many things, that, that would count and make, be productive, but he didn't do all the other things that perhaps we thought he should have done. For instance, he could have prayed, and that's good. He should have done it, and he did, He probably did more praying than the average, but he prayed. And he could have done that and stopped, but he didn't stop. He could be a giver, and he did. He taught us in the book of 1 Corinthians how to give unto the Lord the cause of Christ. God loveth a cheerful giver. You who said that? The Apostle Paul writing under in inspiration of God. He taught us to bring forth our tithes on the first day of the week and give them to God. He taught us that in the Word of God. So he was a great giver and a great teacher of giving. He was also a man who served his Lord. He said, I gladly serve my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He could have done that in many capacities. He could have offered helps for Christian living. He could, he could have maybe been somebody who offered self helps to make you feel better. But that wasn't his calling, and I don't think that's the calling of a God-called man to make folks feel better. I think the calling of a God-called man is to preach the gospel Amen. and to testify of the amazing grace of God. Yeah. Tell others about it and let others learn to do the same thing and reproduce yourself. We are to reproduce ourselves as Christians. Amen. You see, a Christian means Christ-like. And they were first called Christians Antioch, not because they loved them, but because the people who hated them gave them that name. They act just like Christ. And they first were called Christians Antioch. You get over to Peter to call Christians again. And it says they were persecuted like Christians. That's like the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you begin to read the testimony and the biography and the autobiography of the Apostle Paul, you see a great man with great truths that can be handed down to every generation. And so the Apostle Paul had a motive that he lived by. I give you first of all today the motive of the Apostle Paul. Here was a command. It was not just something that he just decided to do. He said, I was given the command of God, and the Bible says I read your scripture, read the scripture in Romans chapter one, I am a debtor. When you read the book of Paul in Romans, you'll find three times he says, I am. And you get over other passages, you find him saying, I am. In the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, and others would say, when God would speak, they say, I am, I am, here I am, here I am. God, the great I am, would say something, and they would say, here I am, or here am I. Both Abraham, Moses, and Joshua, and others in the Old Testament would respond to God by saying, I am. When Paul began to record the book of Romans under inspiration of God, he says, I am debtor, I have a debt to pay. How many of you got any debts to pay? How many, owe, how many owe somebody, how many owes the bank money? How many has got more money than you know what to do with? We're trying to pay off the parking lot deal, okay? So if you've got too much money, we've crossed the $40,000 mark. All God's people said, now if somebody put the rest of it in today, we'll take care of the parking lot. So if we don't get the parking lot paid this week, don't grumble about the holes in the parking lot. Because the Lord we going to get it done one of these days with the help of the good Lord and His own timetable. But anyhow, the Apostle Paul uh, was instrumental in having a purpose for life. And that purpose was, I have a debt to pay. Jesus paid it all. Amen. All to him I owe. Right. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the, bow, the wise, the barbarians and the wise. I'm a Greek to the the Greek people, I'm, a, I'm a, debt, a debt to the Jewish people. I'm a debt to anybody, the heathen, It no matter not who it is. Jesus said the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew chapter twenty, chapter 28. He said in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. The gospel is to go all around the world. Right now, we're what, 9 billion people pushing at least eight, are already counted, maybe nine billion at this time of the the counting mechanism, keeping up with the people of the world. If there's nine billion people, every one of them God loves. That's hard for me to grasp. I used to say this, I couldn't understand how God could love Saddam Hussein, who would eventually be executed by the government and walked off the plank and was 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 cruelly killed. But he killed a lot of folks. Matter of fact, his boys would take a saw, like a, a lumber saw, and they would put people on a saw and tie them down and then split them in two to, get, to take care of their punishment of the Christian people or those who didn't agree with their philosophy. He was a very wicked man. I wondered, I said, how in the world could God love a man like Saddam Hussein? I'm not saying he went to hell, I'm not saying he went to heaven. He didn't, if he didn't get saved, he went to hell. But when he walked out on that game plank for crucifixion or his own execution, he died. And if he was not saved, he went to hell. But he could have went to heaven. He could have went to heaven while he walked out on the game plank for his day of execution. If he had said, Dear Lord Jesus, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me and cleanse me of all my sins and come into my heart and cleanse me. You say, that's impossible. The thief on the cross did it. The thief on the cross said today, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross was saved at the last hour of his life as an execution chamber. I used to wonder about men like Mussolini, uh, who was a wicked dictator, and Hitler, a man who, uh, according to history, has been responsible for killing more Jews than anybody in the world, especially maybe six million of them at one time over the period of a few years during the 40s. Men like Hitler, men like Mussolini, men like uh, the, all the dictators of our world today, all around the world. You wonder how they could be saved. How could God love them? And then it dawned on me, how could God love me? Yeah. You say, preacher, you're not mean. All have sinned. come comes for the glory of God. Right. None of us deserve to go to heaven. None of us are good enough to go to heaven. And so it is. We're all in this life together living our life. And if I'd have died unsaved, I'd have went to hell, the same hell these other men went if they were unsaved. And yet God loves everybody. You say, well, preachers just don't seem fair that God could love men like that who used to kill Christians. I give to you the Apostle Paul, a man who not only was doing what he thought was right, he killed Christians. He held the coat of Stephen when the first deacon was uh, beat to death with stones uh, there in Jerusalem. It was Paul who gave the order. Saul, his name was then, Saul of Tarsus. So here's a man who was a blasphemer by his own writings. He was a man who was injurious. He would injure Christians. He was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians the day that God struck him down by a great light on on the road to Damascus and blinded him for three days. The Apostle Paul was one born out of due season. Somebody says, "But yeah, but he he was used mightily of God. God wants to use you and me mightily of God. We may not write 13 books of the Bible. We may not be able to travel around the world and end up in prisons and persecution, but all of us can stand up for Jesus Christ. Stand up, stand up, you soldiers of the cross. Lift high His royal banner. It must not suffer loss." The ultimate decree to all of us is to be soul winners for Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul was a wicked man. How wicked was he? I am the chief of sinners. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Yeah. That means you're not the chief. But you're one of the Indians. Amen. And you deserve to go to hell just like I do. The Apostle Paul was chief of sinners. He felt like so unworthy, so undeserving. He deserved to die and go to hell. He deserved to be separated away from God for eternity. But God, in his marvelous grace, saved him. I think on the road to Damascus, when the Apostle Paul cried out and said, What must I do? Uh, what must I do? And he cried out for mercy. He said, Thou kickest against the pricks, Paul. Why keep kicking against the pricks? That means he was under conviction. It means that when Stephen died, that glorious death in chapter 7 of the book of Acts, when, when Stephen was being put to death by the stoning of those who accused him, he stood there against the wall. The stones began to hit him. One by one, they hit him. He hit, finally he pushed down to his knees. Blood was spurting everywhere by now. Bruises everywhere. First deacon stoned to death in the Bible named Stephen. And here he was being stoned to completely to death. And all of a sudden, he lifted up his voice and said, Father, forgive them. You see anybody else say that in the Bible? Jesus, Jesus Christ himself Amen. on the cross of Calvary said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. They don't understand. Amen. And Stephen was given that glorious testimony there on his death. The Bible says that the Lord stood up in heaven. The Bible says the Lord sits on the throne of heaven. When Stephen was crucified, Jesus stood up to welcome Stephen home. Paul saw all that. This Saul of Tarsus, his name I said a moment ago, who later became named the Apostle Paul. But here he was under command of God. He, he left his responsibilities in the Judaism religion as maybe somebody high in archy. Maybe he was a member one day or maybe a member of the Sanhedrin court. I'm not sure what position he reached, but he was a very intellectual man. He was a very intelligent man, a very well-versed man. He was a man of great abilities. And now all of a sudden, he said, I count I it all for dung that I may win Christ. I realize I am nothing, have nothing apart from the grace of God. I am indebted to the Apostle Paul who desired to go to Rome and preach the gospel. And eventually he ended in Rome and those who were won to Christ along the way got on a boat one day and they came across the Atlantic Ocean. They landed in America, we call it today. And they began to teach and preach the gospel. This country was founded on people who were seeking religious freedom. They were seeking to have the peace of God and not somebody to tell them how to worship God, but to worship according to their own dictates of the heart. And most of them were Christian people who believed the Bible. This, this world, this country, America, was founded upon the principles of godly truth found from the Word of God and I'm grateful for that. I, we have a debt, the Apostle Paul, who's responsible for that. Even though he didn't come personally, it was because of his teaching and because of his writings and because of his influence. Uh, he helped influence people who come to America, who began to lay the foundation for what we call America. God bless America. I love America. We love America. We love America. I'm not here on a political speech today, but I believe this. I believe some people are going to stand before God Almighty for a lot of things they've done, including killing babies, including murdering people that they ought not to murder uh, through child molestation, uh, through drugs, and all the other things that we, we find guilty of, being guilty of in America. You say, well, preacher, what about those people? Well, they can be saved. Amen. I have in my files. I'll never probably show it to anybody unless somebody reads it after I die. Of somebody in our church years ago who wrote me a letter. She said, Dear Pastor, somewhere down the road you may be able to use this letter. I'll give it to you with a broken heart. And she talked about three abortions she had. She gave me the details, how she felt, how she experienced it, what she went through, all the tragedy, the heartache she felt. And she says, I wake up at night thinking of what I've done. She says, May God have mercy upon me. And He did. Thank God she was saved. Thank God she went to heaven. You say, preach, that's terrible sin. Yes, it is. But God forgives all sins. Amen. Big, little, black or white, doesn't matter what the color of the sin is. There's no little white lies with God. Lies a lie. That's right. There's no big sinners and little sinners. We're all sinners Amen. in need of Christ. And so we're all in the same boat. But the fact is, sometimes we put sins in categories. We make this sin worse than this sin, and this sin worse than this sin, Or this sin is not so bad. In other words, go back to lying. It's all right to tell a little white lie, especially with income taxes any day coming. It's all right to lie to Uncle Sam because everybody does that. No, everybody don't do that. That's right. You say, but if you don't cheat them, they'll cheat you. My responsibility is to do what's right under the government that I belong to. I'm going to pay my taxes. I'm going to try to get every deduction. Okay. Our CPA sitting over here, Frank's done my ta- taxes for 100 years. He married a young lady, (laughs) but I've trusted him. And what I give him is hope is right. And if we ever get caught in, Frank goes first. (laughs) If we have to go to jail, Frank goes first. But I find myself realizing a white lie and a black lie. You say, well, sometimes you gotta tell a black little lie. You gotta be careful what you do. You you be guilty of lying. God hates blind, whether it's white or black doesn't matter. Sin is sin. and needs to be dealt with in our life. And so often we go through life sometimes wondering uh, why we're so good and everybody else is so bad. You ought to wonder why you're so bad and everybody else is better. I mean, everybody's bad. The whole world is depraved, wicked. The only good people in the world are Christian people. You say, how do you say that? Because you cannot be good without being godly. And you cannot be godly without God. Because he said, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There is not one person who does good, because what you do, it is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. You say, but well, preacher, if somebody feeds the poor and takes care of benevolent cases, and that's fine. Nothing wrong with that it ought to be done, but that's not going to get you to heaven. If you're an unsaved person, you're going to go one way, through the blood of Jesus Christ Amen. and by the righteousness of God. If I've got any goodness today in me, it's nothing in my hands. I come. I come with empty hands. I come to the cross of Calvary and say, Lord, I need you. I can't make it without you. I can't be saved without you. And God, his marvelous loving hand, as it were, reaches down from heaven and reaches down and gets a hold of me, spiritually speaking now, and picks me up from the miry clay, plants my feet on the solid rock and establish my goings and put a song in my heart. I can be able to say to God, be the glory, great things he has done. He saved me. By his marvelous grace, I don't deserve it. And we talk about it a lot around here. None of us deserve to go to heaven. There's nothing good in, in us apart, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. So, whatever righteousness I have, he says that he was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The word righteousness means right living. I've been able to live right because of what God's helped me to do. I have not lived perfect because nobody has. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God even after you've been after you've been saved. All of you that raised your hands, you were saved a while ago. You have been saved, and Jesus paid your debt. How many of you sinned since you got saved? Would you raise your hand? Real high. Two hands for each other, some of you. You've sinned since you got saved. There's a difference, though. There's a big difference in sinning as a Christian and sinning as an unsaved person that's never been saved. What's the difference? I've illustrated it thousands of times over the years. Since I was 18 years of age. If the case is if the case is true and it is true, if I can lie as an unsaved person and say, Well, that's just the way I am or lose my lose my temper, maybe a better one and cuss you out. Yeah. And I lose my temper, Brother Willard, I just cuss you out real good. You say, Well, you ought not to do that. I don't care what you think. If I want to cuss you, I'll cuss you. If you don't like that, come get one of these. I could be real mean. I could cuss him out. But let's say that's before I got saved. I got saved now. Willard does the same thing, bugs me to death. I still want to cuss him out. And say I slipped up and said to cuss you blankety blank. Something's going to happen to me. The Holy Ghost of God lives on the inside of my body. And I said, I can't do that. And if I did cuss you out, Willard, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Why? He didn't before he got saved. Before he got saved, he said, and if you don't like that, there's more waiting on you. But once he gets saved, he loves him because he sees him as a sinner whom God loves. You say, preach, that don't make sense. We're not trying to make sense out of it. I don't understand how a God could be so big and fill my heart, but he does. I don't know how a great big God can save my soul and take me to heaven, but he does. I'm just glad God loves me and cares for me. But there are things that happen in life. You cuss before you're saved. It maybe doesn't bother you as much as it normally would. You just don't bother you. Or somebody rebuke you for it and you say, well, I cuss and that's just the way I am. I cuss because I got a bad temper. My daddy had a bad temper. That's the truth I got a bad temper. No, you got a bad temper because you're a sorry sinner. You say, well, don't blame it on your daddy. If you don't blame it on anybody, just blame it we're all chips off the old block. Adam was the first sinner of sin. And we've all been born with that sinful nature in us. Yeah. Did you know you don't have to teach a child to lie? That's right. How many's got children? How many's got grandchildren? How many has great-grandchildren? Some of you folks are getting older and older. How many got great great grandparents? We'd stop, we stop three times down. Have you ever seen a child lie and you've got to teach them how to lie? Now I'm going to show you how to steal a cookie. You go ahead and uh, here's nobody in the room. Turn the light on. Sneak into the counter. Get you a chair. Climb up on the chair. Reach the cookie jar. Put your hand in the cookie jar. Reach down and grab two if you want to. Grab your two cookies. Ease back down. Move the chair away from the counter. Go in the other room. Mama comes in the room and sees crumbs on the floor. Johnny... Did you steal, did you take some cookies from the cookie jar? Not me. Well, what's that crumb all over your face? My brother put it there. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not guilty. You're telling me you didn't steal the cookie? You didn't take a cookie from the cookie jar? And you almost got to twist it out of them to tell the truth. Now, you teach children to tell the truth, and that's what the ought to do. Did you take a cookie? Yes, I did. But human nature, human nature is they cry. Let me give you a better illustration. When a baby's born and they in the crib at home and they wake up at night and they start crying and you go in and you pick them up, everything's all right, God bless you, I love, Mama loves you. And you lay them back down again, you get back in bed, they start screaming again. And, you, and the husband says, woman, go check that baby out again. On the third time, the woman says, husband, you go check it now." Anyway, he keeps on crying. Baby keeps on crying. Picks the little baby up. Everything's all right. Yeah, we love you. Good night. Now behave. Don't, don't cry. Everything's all right. Put him back to bed. Five minutes passes. All of a sudden, ah! You rush in there again and find out. You know what? When you pick him up, you know, quick. As soon as you pick him up, they quit crying. I'm going to tell you what that is in co-English. That's a lying hinky-winky. That's what it is. <laughs> that baby's lied about this whole situation. All it wanted was the touch of mama and lied to get it. All of the sin comes of the glory of God. From the youngest to the oldest. And when they reach the age of accountability, which is the age, they understand right from wrong. That varies with different people. I was nine years old when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I'm glad I did. Some folks may get saved earlier. Some folks get saved later. But the important thing is you've got to realize that you are a sinner in need of God's grace to save you. The Apostle Paul said, I'm chief of sinners. That takes to regain the rest of us. All of us are guilty. If the Apostle Saul of Tarsus, who was the Apostle Paul, became a Christian because he knew he was a sinner, injurious, blasphemer, persecutor, murderer, you name it, he did it. God forgave him, and God can forgive you. And God can cleanse you by His marvelous blood. There's people in this room today, including this preacher, probably have some sins we wish we'd never committed. There's probably some sins in our life that we've done, whether it be lying or being unfaithful, being immoral, or whether it's been some kind of stealing something. There's been things that we've done in our life that we shouldn't have done, and we realize we shouldn't have done it. And you say, boy, I wish I'd have never done God has forgiven all that and cleansed you by the blood of Jesus Christ. I think Tommy was trying to get it right a while ago. Tommy, being a Duke fan, has trouble getting directions right. And he was pointing this way and this way. I have no idea which way it is either, Tony. I (laughs) mean, Tommy. But he was saved, and the sins have been placed in God's forgiveness. As far as the east is from the west, how far is it? I don't have a clue. He buried it in the depths of the sea, and to remember it against you no more. How deep is the sea? I don't know. Six, eight miles deep in the middle middle of it. Maybe so. I have no idea. But he says, I'm going to forgive you and place your sins in the sea of my forgetfulness that I'll never, 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 never remember it against you again. See, preacher, some sins I committed for, I say, and God says, what sins are you talking about? That ought to make anybody get happy. What sins are you talking about? God forgives and forgets every sin you've ever committed, no matter how vile, how wicked, or how easy it may have been. God forgives and cleanses you and says, go and sin no more. And He said, if you sin, you have an agony with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He says, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let me just say, hallelujah, glory to God for the grace of God. Now, if I wasn't sick, I'd really shout today. Somewhere along the way we've got to realize that the Apostle Paul set an example for us, his portrait of being a Christian. I'm not ashamed. I am a debtor. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel means dynamite. Good news, good news, rather. I'm not ashamed of the good news of salvation. It's good for the Greek, it's good for the barbarians. It's good for the wise, it's good for the foolish. It's good for the white, it's good for the black, it's good for the yellow. It's good for the tall, it's good for the short. It's good for the skinny, it's good for the fat. And the are double amen on the fat part. I'm glad God loves us all. Nobody does not love. It. He loves us all. And he says, I'm not ashamed of that, that. The gospel, the good news is that though I am vile and wicked, I can come to Jesus Christ and be saved by the marvelous grace of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The power, the word dynamite, TNT. The word power is what that word means. It means dynamite. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for his, the power, the dynamite unto salvation. St. P. Jones says, "You just like the fuse, it'll blow the meanness out of you. The power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, because salvation is of the Jews. The Bible says He came into His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as did receive Him, to them give He power to become the sons of God. Yes, He forgives. He started salvation with the Jews. He loves the Jews. Right now, they're blinded. They've got a a deception over their mind about Jesus Christ. One day, that's going to be lifted. But right now, the Jewish people do not believe in the Messiah. I stood at the Holy Lands, or in the Holy Lands. I've stood at the Wailing Wall. I've seen people put the little hat on their head, including Richard Adams, who I was with. He was a redneck from Tennessee, but he went down the Wailing Wall and got him one of the little hats they call. Yeah, and put it on top of his head. And he was, he was doing this at the waiting wall. And then took a little piece of paper and wrote some things down and stuck it in the wall. I said, Richard, what are you doing down there? He says, he says, I'm praying for Jesus to come. Amen. <laughs> See, that's what the Jews are praying for. Here's what it said: Waiting on the Messiah. Going back to the Garden of Eden, waiting on the birth of the Messiah. Waiting on the one that's going to come. And they're still waiting on the Messiah. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They're still waiting on the Messiah. But I'm glad one day their eyes are going to be open. and they're going to realize that prayer that they pray at the wedding wall has come to fruition. And the same prayer that we pray, even so come Lord Jesus. Amen. One day, thank God, I know not when, I know not how, I know not all the details, but I know the sky is going to split and Jesus Christ with the power of heaven is coming down and to receive us unto himself and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the air and so shall we ever meet with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another these words. One day, somewhere, sometime, on the counter of God, he's going to come. It's good to be a Christian. Eh? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. I've got a right to say what I'm going to say. He said, I've been there. I was wicked. I was vile. I was filthy. I was a murderer. I did it blindly. I did it unknowingly. Un- 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 that's no excuse. I still was doing things I ought not to do. And he says, I'm grateful that God has forgiven me and cleansed me by His marvelous blood. And Paul said in his testimony, his motive was to just do what's right and to fulfill the primary purpose of your life. And I'll close this to try to tie it all together. I got an outline up here, but I'm not staying with it very good, okay? If you want to see my outline, I'll charge you a dollar to look at it. (laughs) There was a command. He was left here for a purpose. His primary job was to be a soul winner. Going to all the world is a command. Everybody's supposed to be a soul winner. Everybody's supposed to be a sinner saved, telling other sinners how to be saved. Right. So why did God leave us here? Primary job. You say, but I'm a businessman. You are primarily a soul winner, making a living as a businessman to provide for your family. But primarily your job is to be a soul winner. You see, we're supposed to be little lights. I was talked about the other night. This a light of mine, I'm going to let it shine until Jesus comes. I'm supposed to be a light in a dark world and so are you. How in the world people get saved if somebody don't shine the light? Right. By life and by lip, if we don't shine the light, how are they going to get saved? Amen. He did not leave you here to make a living. He left you here to make a life. And so it is with me. We have one life to live till soon we pass. And Paul was taking the command of the Lord, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That good news, and I will share it with anybody and everybody I can. And eventually he would die because of that. But he took his stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be various jobs you do in life, but your real primary job, my real primary job, and all we come so short is letting our light shine by life and by lip, letting other folks know Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let me read you a couple of verses before I quit today in the book of Romans, chapter nine. Paul loved his own people tremendously. He was a Jew, Pharisee, a Jew. he, He traced his lineage all the way back to Abraham. And we read Philippians, chapter three. You start reading the pedigree of the Apostle Paul. If anybody deserved to go to heaven, it was Paul. And you see, he read that all the degrees, all the things he was, Pharisee of Pharisees. The sinning goes all the way back to Abraham. Circumcised the eighth day, according to the ritual laws of the Jewish people. Strict Pharisee believed the word, believed the Old Testament, believed the prophets and the, and the writers of the Old Testament, believed it habitually. And yet he's saying. In verse 1 of chapter 9 of Romans. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed. The word accursed is anathema. Anathema. Accursed. What's that mean? He said, I wish that myself were accursed or separated from God, from Christ, from my brethren, my kinsmen who to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. I have sorrow in my heart tonight for my own people, Paul said. I love them. I wish I could get them saved. Chapter 10 verses 1 through 4. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is my people that they might be saved. For I bear them record they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Apostle Paul his body was clear. He had a mandate. And that day when he said another I am and he was through with his life, he was arrested eventually and put on trial. He was condemned to die for preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. They called it insurrection. They called it being blasphemous. The Apostle Paul was in the same category of Jesus Christ. Jesus was accused of blasphemy. What was Jesus guilty of? What? What sin? Guilty of love in the first degree, the songwriter said. But Jesus Christ died for our sins. He took our place on the cross of Calvary. He was not guilty of any sin against the government. They said, you claim to be the Son of God. What do you say? He said, nothing. He said, thou sayest. You know why he didn't have to respond? Because he was the Son of God. He was the Son of Man, the Son of God fused into one person. And when he was accused of blasphemy, when he claimed to be God, he was not blasphemy; He was God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen. The triune Godhead is so important in the Christian doctrine. And So here's the Apostle Paul saying, I wish my kin people be saved. I have this burden for them. Do you have a kin, kin people that are lost? They ought to be at the top of your list. I have a list, you have a list, either mentally or written down. And somewhere along the way, you write their names down or on your mind or on paper. Lord, save them. If a person gains the whole world and loses their own soul, what's going to profit them? I may feed my kids, I may clothe my kids, I may educate my kids, but I may neglect them about their eternal soul. That's a great tragedy. The saddest word in the English vocabulary, if I had to pen one today, would be lost. Jesus Christ 19.10, the book of Luke, come to seek and to save that which was lost. If a man die unsaved, he's lost. And throughout the quarters of hell, the screaming and the crying forever and ever will be one word, I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm lost. Oh God, I'm lost. Separated from God forever, separated from anything good, separated from all the, the water you could drink, separated from all the goodness of this life, separated from all things that are going to be in heaven. I'm lost forever. I'm lost. I'm, oh God, have mercy. Have mercy. Oh God, have mercy. You gain the whole world, lose your own soul. What should it profit a man? The motive of Paul's life was the command and his concern for others. May I say it to you, may I say it to myself, sometimes I don't feel like I'm concerned enough. Sometimes I find myself falling short of the glory of God as the Apostle Paul commanded us to. You say, Preacher, when's, what should I do? First of all, ask God's forgiveness. All of us should when we falter and fail. Keep that high on the priority. And then decide you're going to be a witness by life and by lip as much as you possibly can. For the most greatest tragedy in this room today is somebody who stumbles over you and goes to hell. Yeah. Dan Patrick preached a sermon years ago that stuck with me. He and I were college roommates, or college classmates. We sat beside each other for four years in college. Patrick Paul said that. They called the row alphabetically. So we were the Paulie Patrick Patrick, Patrick Paulie, whichever the case may be. But he was a great preacher. He was preaching one time. He says, Yes, there's some things that I may do that I should not do. I'm going to heaven. But some people will stumble over my life and go to hell. He said, What well, as tragic as is some of the things that I want to do that I don't think is that bad in their eyes may be bad, the reason why I don't do a lot of things that is, quote, bad. There's some things I don't want to do. And there's some things I leave alone for testimony's sake. What somebody else may think. And so he says, I may not go to hell myself, but I may cause somebody else to go to hell. Just say I'm going to dedicate my life to the Lord. Going back to Willard, I'm through. Willard, my response as a Christian. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And Willard, on your end, you're being a Christian. You know what you're say. You're forgiven, Preacher. That's, that's Christianity. Behold how they loved one another. You say, well, it's hard to love somebody. That's the reason why you've got to have the love of God on the inside of you. For He loved everybody. And the first fruit of the Spirit is love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And the love of God that is displayed on Calvary has been displayed in your heart and in your life and my life. And I can make a difference. May God bless you. Don't be mad at me today. When you leave, hug me. And you say, well, preacher, that's just foolishness. Call it what you will, but you sure can enjoy life a lot better. And all the envy and the jealousy and the bickering that we go through so many times. There's a long sermon there, so I couldn't preach it today about just getting along with other folks the best we can. Let's pray together. Father, I know the sermon was rambling. Lord, no doubt I missed a lot of things I should have say, but I guess I said all you want me to say. I trust you'll take the simplicity of this preacher and the power of the Word of God together. They have some impact upon somebody's life. Save that so that we'll be saved today. Bring back the backslider. And encourage us all. And Lord, if we're Christians and we just need to pray for an increase of burden that Lord you'll help us to be motivated by the testimony of the Apostle Paul who was not ashamed of the Gospel may we too not be ashamed of it may we tell everybody we can share it the best we know how that others can see Christ in us the hope of glory forgive us today bless the invitation I leave it with you